Hello and welcome back to the Unreported World podcast. I'm Krishnan Guru Murthy. This week, Ramita Navai spends two weeks living undercover in some of the most dangerous parts of Syria, with members of the opposition movement determined to overthrow President Assad's dictatorship. One of the few teams to avoid the ban on foreign media operating without official permission, they meet protesters, victims of the crackdown, and visit the clandestine hospitals set up in private homes by doctors who risk torture or even death for treating the injured. We were beginning a journey into a country whose people are joining a revolution against one of the most repressive regimes in the Arab world. Death rather than humiliation. Soon as the army's out, these people are back on the streets. They're absolutely fearless. Nothing will stop them. It's a country where the government's response has been brutal. The UN estimates 3,000 people have been killed. President Bashar al-Assad has banned all independent foreign media, but we were about to discover what life is like for those at the heart of a revolution. They're all shouting, freedom, freedom. There are some banners there that say, Assad is a murderer. We began our investigation in the capital, Damascus, posing as tourists. We plan to meet an opposition contact in Reef Damask, a restive suburb that for six months has been a key part of the uprising. But the roads in were blocked by army checkpoints. After two days, our opposition contact managed to come out and meet us. He was a young businessman who used the alias Abu Khaled. Abu Khaled's meeting with another activist now to see if the roads are safe and they can get us in. Abu Khaled's also told us that at a funeral of a protester today, seven people were shot. He said protests were happening at that very moment inside Reef Damask. He used a network of lookouts on walkie-talkies to guide us in and evade army patrols. The protesters are trying to gather to march on Damascus, so the security forces have flooded the area to prevent them. We entered Reef Damask. Everywhere we went, there were people demonstrating on the streets. Death rather than humiliation. Abu Khaled took us to the funeral of an activist. He said it was safe to get out of the car, but warned there were government informers everywhere, so we had to be quick. There are thousands of people at this funeral here, and they're all chanting, freedom, freedom. The crowd was outside the cemetery where a protester, Amon Zaglul, had just been buried. We were told the security forces had gouged his eye out and tortured him to death. Abu Khaled said that nearly every day in Reef Damask, the security forces shoot and kill protesters. The people are living under constant siege. This area has been surrounded for more than three months. The regime is making our lives hell and killing our children. 
we were taken to the nearby town of Duma. Its people were protesting against the death of a 14-year-old boy shot dead at a demonstration. They are singing a song about eyes shedding tears for those martyrs who were killed and injured for the freedom of Syria. protesters burned the Russian flag, angry at Russia's backing for the regime. Abu Khaled said we had to leave. He was worried we may have been spotted by informers. The people want the execution of the president. We were taken to one of the hubs for the underground opposition network that spread across the country. The men organizing the protesters are known in Arabic as Tansariyat, which means coordinator. We had gained access to one of them. Abu Hazem, a 35-year-old teacher, is responsible for gathering evidence of the atrocities in the area. This is a coordinator who works with us. They tortured him and beat him to death. Our revolution relies on sacrifices, and we pray that even if there's only one man left, we will bring down the regime. He buried footage at the bottom of his garden. Here I have footage from Duma. Our fear is security forces will come and raid the house because if they find these, we could get the death penalty. I quickly made copies and buried them. Despite the risks, Abu Hazem regularly uploads the footage to the internet. He showed us a recording of a funeral he'd attended. They were at the mosque for the funeral of martyrs who died on Friday. Hundreds had gathered outside the mosque to mourn the death of a man killed in a protest. They were met with gunfire. So you, we've just seen the funeral procession taking place. They're carrying two bodies, and the activists are pointing to the top of a building they say is the Department for Military Security. They say the shooting's coming from there, and there were snipers on top of this building. Abu Hazem kept meticulous records of those killed, tortured, and injured. Khaldun Drubi and Khalid al-Sawar are the two whose funeral it was. And during their funeral, the men who were killed were Hassan Shab and Bilal Shab. He said over 50 people had died since March in his area alone. He also claimed you didn't have to protest to be targeted. Abu Hazem says that the man who owned the printing shop that was printing lists like this of dead protesters and printing banners that are held up by the protesters 
was killed by the authorities. Nobody is safe here. We wanted to find out what was driving Syrians all across the country to denounce the regime. One of the biggest opposition groups is called the Syrian Revolution General Commission, or SRGC. The SRGC passed us a message that we could meet one of their activist cells in the town of Medaya, northwest of Damascus. The activists have told us there may be two military checkpoints on the way and that soldiers have been searching cars and confiscating all laptops and cameras. When we reached Medaya, we were rushed to a safe house. Just two hours after we arrived, the army surrounded Medaya. The three activists we met were terrified. All of the activists we're with are wanted men. They've had word that the army is here looking for them. The men were being hunted by the state for arranging mass public protests. Abu Jafar was 27 years old and one of the leaders of the movement in Madaya. He told us his anger was directed at President Bashar al-Assad's bath party. The world knows Syria is a rich and beautiful country, situated strategically. But the house of Assad, one family, has taken everything. It sucked the people's blood dry. 22-year-old Malik had been studying law when the unrest began. He said the majority Sunni Muslim population is oppressed by the minority Alawites, a Shia sect to which President Assad belongs. A person doesn't have any freedom in any aspect of life here. Everything in Syria is controlled by the Ba'ath Party. They even control the person himself. Inspired by the Arab Spring, the men said they were now dedicated to overthrowing the regime. They were organizing protests and uploading news to Facebook and YouTube. It was dangerous. Malik explained how he was arrested and taken by security forces after being spotted at the first Madaya protest. They covered my eyes and tied my hands behind my back. Then the beating and swearing began. They started with the electric prod. They forced me to the ground. The scars from the electric shocks still show on my back. Malik had spent six weeks in prison before being released. Since then, the three young men had lived on the run, moving from safe house to safe house. Several times, they'd only just escaped arrest. With Madaya surrounded, we had no option but to stay the night with them. It's really hard to sleep when you know that a soldier can break down your door any minute. I'm constantly anxious and scared that we're going to be tracked down. And this is just a fraction of what these guys go through as wanted dissidents. They've been living like this for the past five months. The next morning, Abu Jafar tried to find out what the army units surrounding us in Madaya were up to. This is the first internet login of the day, and he's just checking in with all the other coordinators and activists around Syria to find out what the news is. 
Other activists had posted footage of government forces heading to the area we were hiding in. These are the militia vehicles. So now you can see some white pickup trucks filled with it looks like armed men and he says that that's Syria's militia. Where were they raiding? Three hours later, Abu Jafar received a call from a lookout outside. They confirmed the government militia, the Shabiha, was conducting violent house-to-house -house searches. The lookout warned the militia was on our street. Malik, Mohammed and Abu Jaffa all hid in a cupboard. We were advised not to hide, but to make sure we had our passports ready to show we weren't Syrians. We hid our camera, but used a mobile phone to film. We could hear the screams from next door as the militia raided the house. A mother was pleading with them not to take her son. After six hours, we could no longer hear movement outside. A lookout had just called Abu Jafar to tell him what had happened. They entered the building next door where our friend lives. The women and children were crying and he was taken away. We were terrified. If they had come up here and found us, they would have beaten us without mercy. We've just had a phone call from one of their lookouts, say the coast is clear outside the safe house. The soldiers are gone. They think that the army's retreating from the town. And so the guys are frantically packing everything up now. We'd been trapped in the safe house for 72 hours. As we left, we saw the smashed windows next door. The militia had sprayed slogans on the walls. There's graffiti everywhere, all the houses. The guys are pointing it out, and it says, we love you, Bashar Assad, we love you, our president. Before we left Madaya, the activists showed us more of the aftermath of the raids. One of their family's homes had been torn apart. Luckily, his family had already fled. We were told dozens of people had been arrested in the town. 
Activists claimed that the death toll from the violence across the country could be as high as 10,000, with many more injured. But it's no longer safe for casualties to be treated in hospitals. Instead, secret hospitals have been set up in safe houses around the country. We met an opposition doctor who spends every night tending to the wounded. The doctor says this man was shot three times. You can see this is a superficial wound here from where he was shot. The doctor says the bullet's still embedded in his vertebrae. They haven't been able to take it out. The doctor told us government security forces raid hospitals in search of injured protesters. He was removed from the hospital right after surgery, even before they checked if his condition was stable or not, because wounded people are often abducted from hospitals. It's a big risk to their lives taking them to hospital. We saw with our own eyes people with minor wounds beaten by security forces inside hospitals. The doctor claimed patients suspected of being opposition activists had even been shot dead in their hospital beds. He told us that doctors were also being targeted. Many doctors were arrested because they treated wounded protesters. Across Syria, doctors have been arrested and some have even been killed. He was scared. Ten of his colleagues had been arrested. Despite this, he continued to help all those he could. There's a man lying in his bed in a safe house and he's looking very, very upset and bewildered. The patient, Mohammed, was a 36-year-old father of three. His brother told us they'd been protesting together. We encountered the security forces and they opened fire on us, killing five and injuring more than 30. We took them to hospital, but the security forces surrounded the town and prevented doctors from entering. Muhammad bled for more than three hours. Because of the delay, Muhammad's brain was starved of oxygen and he'd been left brain damaged. The doctor said there were hundreds of injured protesters in other secret hospitals across the country. In a location deep in the countryside, we met four soldiers who were on the run. The opposition claim there are thousands of army deserters. He was stationed in Reef Damascus, the suburbs of Damascus. These two were stationed in Dera in the south, and he was stationed in Tartus, which is on the coast in the north. The men said they had deserted because they'd been forced to fire on protesters. What were your orders? They ordered us to kill children and to enter houses without permission. Did you follow the orders to shoot? At more than 40 demonstrations, the people came out and we were commanded to shoot. If we refused to shoot, the militia would shoot us. I don't know if I killed anyone or not, but I did shoot at demonstrations and there were a large number who died, children and women, a lot of people died. This soldier told us that he'd seen several colleagues killed for disobeying orders. 
We stood at the front and the militia and security forces, Assad's gangs, were behind us. If we didn't shoot at the protesters, they would shoot us. I saw with my own eyes my buddy beside me refused to shoot at the protesters, so a sniper shot him in the head. The soldiers claim there are bands of army deserters ready to fight against the regime. We want to fight the regime. If we were given arms, we'd use them. We hope for an armed revolution. The Syrian government says armed terrorists are behind the violence and that since March, 700 members of the security forces have been killed. The government says it's given orders not to harm civilians. However, on the outskirts of Damascus, the opposition took us to the scene of a recent shooting. A 14-year-old boy was killed at a protest on Friday, and they're taking us to the spot where he was killed. This was covered with blood. We had to use sand. You can see the trail of blood. They said there was so much blood that they had to put sand on it to soak it up. And you can still see where the blood was. And here are the bullets. Bullet there. Bullet hole here. Bullet hole here. Bullet hole here. The coordinator had been behind the boy. He poked his head round from this corner. And they say a sniper shot him in the head. dead boy's father agreed to meet us. My neighbor knocked on the door. He told me my son had been shot in the neck. I raced to the hospital. He was already in the operating theater. In the evening, he woke up and looked at us. Nine days after he was shot, he passed away. I sit and think of him. I remember everything about him. God have mercy on him. Even though he'd just lost a son, like most Syrians we met, he remained resolute. The boys will keep protesting until the fall of the regime. The revolution is on and it will continue. In Medaya, where we'd spent three days hiding in the safe house, its people were back on the streets protesting. Whole families had turned out to call for the end of Assad's regime. They're all shouting, freedom, freedom. There are some banners there that say, Assad is a murderer. Despite killings and torture, the Syrians we met insisted they will continue their struggle against the regime. The struggle in Syria may yet be a long and bloody one. Our thanks to Ramita Navai. And for all the latest on the series, do go to the website at channel4.com slash unreportedworld. You'll be able to read reporter features, watch video extras and download previous podcasts. 
Next week, Peter Oborn is in Russia, revealing the huge personality cult around Vladimir Putin. He follows the extraordinary actions of the mass youth movement dedicated to protecting the interests of the Prime Minister. Until then, from me, Krishnan Gurumurthy, goodbye. <laughs>